Uh, it's the, uh, besides the uh, refineries lighting up the night sky, the only thing that Norco is known for besides that is the Norco Christmas Parade. Uh, believe me, it's a big deal. Uh, so what that means for my family is as soon as Sunday school is over, we have to book it home. Uh, not for the parade. I could care less about the parade. It's either get there in time or be kicked out of town until 5 o'clock. And so, uh, uh, so we're going to be cutting it close. Uh, anyway, so if you need to get a hold of me, don't be offended if you see the dust as I, well, let's face it, I don't run, I, but uh, I'll try not to squeal the tires on the way out, but you do have my phone number in the bulletin, so if you need to get a hold of me, uh, and you're, you're thinking you'll get a hold of me after the service, that, that'll be the best way, uh, because um, I really don't know what to do till 5 o'clock if, if we don't get home in time. There's only one way in and out of Norco, and that's where the parade is. Uh, and so uh, it's either get there in time or don't get there at all. Uh, but that, uh, that's what we have going on. Uh, this coming week, I have to go someplace absolutely dreadful. I avoid this location as much as humanly possible. It might be the worst place on earth. I have to go to the DMV. <laughs> Pray for me. My daughter took driver's training, and I have to get a tip card. Uh, what is a tip card? Well, you see, this is how old I've gotten. Back when I was a teenager trying to get my license, you had to get your permit before you get your license. A tip card is the permit you have to get the permit to get the license. Um, in 20 years, you'll have to get a permit to get the permit to get the permit to get the license. That's just how it's going to go. Um, that's what a tip card is, is, the permit you get before you can get the permit to get your license. Uh, and you can't get this at ABC title. I tried. All right, I asked twice. Uh, the only place you can get the tip card is at the DMV. I believe Dante's Inferno is inspired <laughs> by the trip to the DMV. They should have a sign on it that says, Abandon Hope all ye who enter here. Mather Biles Sr. was a British loyalist uh, during the time of the American Revolution, and he was quoted to have said, better to live under one tyrant a thousand miles away than a thousand tyrants one mile away. He was anticipating the DMV. <laughs> when I first moved to Louisiana, I was introduced to brake tags. Perhaps some people are watching online and they're not familiar with what brake tags are. Uh, brake tags are an inconvenient tax perpetrated against lawful citizens. <laughs> inconvenient in that you can't just include this on your end of the year tax form. You have to go to a brake tag office and have someone give you a sticker to place on your car proving that you have a sticker on your car. That's, that's it. I, I have yet had anyone actually test my brakes or even sit in the driver's seat of my vehicle. Uh, yet this magic sticker certifies that I am safe. With this attitude of mine in mind, I began reading the next section in 1 Peter 2.13, which says, I didn't write this one down, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil 
and to praise those who do good. I think, for me, we need to pray and ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning to your word, we recognize that it is true, that it is your inspired breath, that these are your very thoughts. And Father, help us to humble ourselves, to, to understand it, and to apply it to your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean to be subject to every human institution? In the book of Titus, it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. It means to be submissive, to be obedient to so that there's no doubt as to what God says about our need to be submissive and obedient to human authority, let's read what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This section that we're reading through First uh, Peter accomplishes two objectives. Uh, the first one is, it gives us motivation, three motivations for submission to, to governing authorities. And then the next section, and it's in your bulletin, is, is four summary points. But there are three uh, motivations here in First Peter for us to submit to governing authorities. I do want to remind everyone, including myself, that we are in the section concerning witnessing. Uh, how do we handle being in a culture that is against Christ? Uh, we, have, we get the privilege to witness, and it is a privilege to do so. Uh, it's not I have to, I, but it's an I get to. Right? Uh, it's a privilege to do that. And one of the ways in which we, uh, we witness is by good Christian conduct. And the way we show good Christian conduct is being submissive to governing authorities. With that in mind, uh, how am I supposed to subject myself to every human institution when many human institutions are corrupt, foolish, and arrogant? That is a great question. And so we need to go back to last week's instruction. In 1 Peter 2.11 it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We will not be able to abide under human authority if we do not abstain from the passions of the flesh. Sometimes I chafe being under governmental authority because the authorities are run by people who are corrupt, foolish, and arrogant. Sometimes I chafe under being governmental authority because my flesh is rebellious, sinful, and proud. And it's important to recognize that difference. Sometimes it's not them. Sometimes it's me. But sometimes it is them, correct? 
My motivation cannot be based on human institutions being sensible and righteous. That can't be the motivation for doing it, that they will be good, they will be right, they will be moral, they'll be excellent. That can't be my motivation. It's not on them, it's on me. I can't decide my actions based on the deservedness of others. So 1 Peter gives three motivations for being subject to every human institution. In this section it says, be subject for the Lord's sake. You see, it's not necessary to understand the, the meaning of this verse. You could take for the Lord's sake out, and this sentence will read grammatically correct. Be subject to every human institution. Right? It, Peter could have just written that, correct? But he adds in, for the Lord's sake. It is to the benefit of the Lord not just to honor the Lord. It is to honor the Lord. Please, it's not less than that. It is to honor the Lord. But that word is to the benefit of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that we need to remember that God has bigger plans. He uses rulers and authorities to accomplish his purpose. That is why angels long to investigate these things because God plays chess while other peoples play checkers. Let's, in our own minds, go over some examples from Scripture where God used the bad intentions of rulers to accomplish his purpose. God used Pharaoh to show God's power throughout the whole earth. In Romans 9.17, it says, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Did you know the book of Exodus is a missions book? A lot of times we get caught up in the ten plagues and, and look to see how these ten plagues um, uh, are, are like an attack on the, the religious system of Egypt, and they are. But the most important statements in that whole section is where it says these things were done so that you may know who the Lord is. Uh, the key verse in Egypt, it's not my life verse, but the key verse in, in, in Exodus is uh, as Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And the rest of the book is, that's a great question, Pharaoh. You're going to know the Lord real well. But the whole world, it says, knew about the Lord because of Pharaoh. Uh, God used Caesar Augustus to call for a census so that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem as it was prophesied in the Old Testament. God used evil Herod to get Joseph to move Jesus to Egypt, to Egypt to fulfill prophecy in the book of Hosea. Herod uses his authority to murder a bunch of toddler boys to stop Jesus from becoming king. You can see that in Matthew chapter 2. But there's another example of God using horrible, horrible Herod to accomplish his purpose. Uh, did you know that with Herod, he kept a group of, of, of civilians in an arena to be kept for the day of his death. Because his plan was, on the day of his death, all of those people were to be executed. That way there would be proper crying and mourning uh, in, in the region on the day of his death. He died, and they let them all free. But his plan was, 
That's how horrible of a, of a person he was. And yet God used him um, to accomplish prophecy being fulfilled in the life of Christ. There are many other examples where God used bad government to accomplish his purpose. We need to subject ourselves to governing authorities, trusting that God will use their decisions to accomplish his purpose because, because he does use them to accomplish his purposes. We also do want to honor the Lord in our obedience to human authorities. We have to recognize an important truth. It says in Romans 13:1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that, have exi- and those that exist have been instituted by God. Ultimately, our submission is to the Lord. Since he has placed governing authorities over us, it is to him we subject ourselves. So that's the first motivation, is whatever we do, do it for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, for for the benefit of what he's doing and to honor him. But there's another. 1 Peter 2.15 says, the second one, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The second motivation is to silence foolish people. Now, we have to be careful. All right? We have to be careful with this. Uh, I put in the bulletin notes to silence foolish people because I figured that would get our attention. All right? If your inner thoughts got excited at the prospect and you thought, yeah, that sounds fun, you probably have not abstained from the passions of the flesh that we talked about earlier. Right? That's a very fleshy response. The exciting part is knowing that you are participating in God's will. But why does God want to silence foolish people? There's a very practical reason that we have to understand here in in what Peter is writing to them. The best defense a Christian has against lies and slander is excellent behavior. That is the best defense. In this time of 1 Peter, if you weren't participating in the pagan religious festivals people would doubt you were a good citizen. Why aren't you participating in this? Why don't you do what we do? Why aren't you a, a part of what's going on? And Christians would look at that and say, this, is, uh, this is, uh, involves idol worship. This involves uh, worship of, of Caesar. This, this violates the word of God. It violates my conscience. I can't, I can't do this. And that would leave people open, uh, leave people open to slander and lies and accusations. How do we handle lies and accusations against us? We can write something nasty back on Facebook, right? Or we can have the best defense, which is excellent behavior. Excellent behavior. Paul was accused of promoting the overthrow of the Roman government, same as Jesus. Christians are considered a threat because the gospel rocks the boat and goes against the standard. The overthrow of the Soviet Union and the Iron Curtain have a lot to do with Christianity. Hungary opened the borders, and then the people in East Germany said they were going camping, and they went down to Hungary, and then they traveled north to West Germany. Uh, They were making shirts that said, "Last last one left, turn out the lights, because they were leaving. Why, why did Hungary open the border? Well, a little bit before they decided to do that, 
they had these big crusades by Billy Graham. And the proclamation of the gospel had a huge effect. What's going on now in, in China? The, the media is going to tell you it's all COVID related. Do you know where the church is growing incredibly fast? In China. Do you know where the church is also growing incredibly fast? Iran. Women are getting saved in Iran like crazy. Why? Because Christianity says there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. They're not second-class citizens in Christianity. That's what's rocking the boat. So Christianity can change the world. That's why we need to be careful that we have excellent behavior. The best way, the best defense against lies is excellent conduct toward human government, toward human authority. In Romans 12, 18, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. Do you remember what Jesus said? When, when Roman soldiers, they could say, hey, you have to carry my gear. They're walking through Judah. They're tired of carrying their sword and shield. And they can say to anybody, here, you carry my gear. What did Jesus say when, when, when authority tells you to do that? He said, don't go a mile. Go two miles. As long as it is, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The last motivation is uh, what well, says, we'll get to that. It says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. The last motivation is living in Christian liberty. There is nothing more Christ-like than excellent, honorable behavior towards authority. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, stood before Pilate, and did he say to Pilate, you can't touch me, I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords. No, it says that he kept silent, recognizing Pilate's authority. When they were said to Jesus, do you give tax, do you pay your taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, what did he say? Look at the coin whose picture is on that. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and render unto the Lord what is the Lord's. Live as people who are free. Being out of a situation where you were subjected to performing tasks and unwanted responsibility feels great, right? When you finally get away from that. I remember my last day of high school, I walked out the doors feeling great. The only people more excited about the last day of school than the students are the teachers. And the administrators are happy to see the teachers go as well. It just keeps going. How do free people live? They live responsibly, not out of compulsion, but freely. I've had conversations where parents were not thrilled that their child's, with their child's choice of college or major. The young adult believes at that point in their life they should be able to choose their own way. And they have a point. They are, after all, an adult. I will say to them in front of their parents, you're right, you can choose your college and major without your parents' permission. Go do it. Then the young adult will give me an uncomfortable look. And I'll say, what's the problem? I've had this conversation more than once. And that is when the truth comes out. They will say to me, if I go to that school or if I major in that subject, my parents won't pay for my college. And that is when I say, pay for it yourself, because that is the price of freedom. 
Christian liberty is for believers who are capable of Christian responsibility. To be free from the slavery of sin is to live gladly as servants of Christ. There's nothing more free than to subject yourself to human authority. Only a free person can do that. Somebody who's enslaved will not do that. Free from the power, free from, from the slavery of sin, a new person, you can choose to live under the authority of human institutions. Now, there are questions that come up. Uh, questions inevitably arise when talking about submission to government. Uh, is there a point when submitting to government is wrong? In Acts 4.17 when, uh, when Peter and John were called before the religious leaders, it says, but in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. The religious leaders said, let's tell these guys to quit talking about Jesus. Let's tell them, just forbid them to do that. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, they said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what they had happened. Noticed that there was, they, they did defy, didn't they? But at the same time, they recognized their authority. They said, you basically, you do what you have to do as authority, but we're going to do what we have to do. So they respected and yet defied at the same time. But that's a, a difficult question to know. Is there a point in which it is wrong to do it? It is wrong to, to obey the governing authorities. Uh, in this passage, uh, so they recognized authority but bowed to God's greater authority. But there are other questions that are less easy to answer. What do I do when two separate authorities are contradicting each other? What authority am I supposed to respond to? Wasn't that a, a, a question people would have had during the, the Civil War? I've got two authorities saying different things. Which one am I supposed to subject myself to? Uh, or here, what do I do when the authority is pure evil? Like if you were a Christian in the time of Germany during, during uh, Hitler's reign, or, or in Russia with Stalin, or, or others. What do I do when the authority is pure evil? What do I do when laws are passed that violate my conscience? Such as in the Affordable Care Act, where we were supposed to provide insurance for abortions. What if that, what if that violates my conscience? What do I do then? In America, and here's a tough one that's, that's uh, uh, it changes the fact that we're in America. Why? Because we don't have a king or a dictator yet. Uh, we have constitution, which means we are ruled by a document of ideas and guarantees. What do I do if the human authorities are not upholding or abiding by the constitution in which they swore to uphold? What am I supposed to do then? And the answer is, I don't know. Quit asking me these hard questions. I do, not, I do want to point out that the government in Peter's day was much worse than our own. Nero was emperor. It was about to get bad for Christians. For the churches in the outer province of Rome, life was very uncomfortable, but it was about to get painful. Our situation is probably best described in our day as 
annoying. There are also specific questions and situations that required wisdom in knowing what to do. Uh, they would have had specific questions that Peter wouldn't be able to adequately address in a letter like you hear in 1 Peter. I also want to point out that motivation and asking difficult questions is important. Are the questions being asked with a desire to submit to human authorities as much as possible while still living righteously before God? Or is the desire in asking the question to find out the least amount required in submitting to governmental authority? The motivation matters. Peter gives a quick diagnostic summary of good citizenship, and that's what we have in verse 17. Don't look for loopholes uh, or become legalistic in your approach to this. When we start asking a lot of questions, sometimes I wonder, is it because you're wanting to do the right thing or are you trying to find a loophole to be able to do what you want, right? And I have to do that. Those are inner conversations I have in my, in my own head. What's my, hey, Berg, what's your motivation here? Are you, trying to do, are you asking this because you're trying to do it right or are you trying to figure out how to do it wrong? Right? We have to be careful about that. Uh, but here is the four-point summary uh, in 1 Peter 2.17. It says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Think of the lowest in society and show them honor by being courteous and polite. Be courteous to those who serve. A nice, person, a nice person isn't someone who is kind to you, but rude to the waiter. Sometimes we come across people who are cross to us. They are in a grumpy mood since 1972. It is tempting to give that grumpiness back, isn't it? Don't. Instead, be polite. Smile. Say thank you. Why? We honor everyone because everyone is created in the image of God even employees at the DMV. Be polite, smile. See if you can't change their behavior. It's a, <clears throat> it's a little thing I, I came up with for myself, a little, a little challenge. I was uh, with a youth group and I took them bowling and we were going to eat at the bowling alley uh, and it was gonna be nice and simple. And the person working the, the, the little food stand in the bowling alley seemed very frustrated that I had 15 people all buying lunch there and she was really cross. And I started, she was treating my teens bad. And uh, I'm not a mama bear, but sometimes I can start to turn into one. And, and they, were, they were fine, they weren't being rude. They, she was just annoyed that they were there. And I thought we were doing them a favor by spending money. Isn't that how capitalism works? Like, aren't we doing you a favor here? And so I started getting upset. And, uh, and I can be really snarky. Um, I can, I'm good at it. Um, I don't want to be good at it, but I, I am good at it. And I was thinking about how I was going to rip her. And, I was, and then I thought, you know what? Instead, let's see if I can get her to smile. It took five minutes, but eventually she smiled. And her day got better. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. From the lowest in society to the greatest. I was ashamed and embarrassed a little bit this week. I was at the bank, and, uh, and a lady in front of me, she was talking on and going on and on about the Lord. Uh, and you have to know his word, and she was going on and on. And, and then she got up to the teller, and before she even got there, she started ripping the teller. And I thought, oh, 
Why? Why? Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Because everyone is created in the image of God. Therefore, they have value. Don't, don't give it back. Be polite. Smile. Say thank you. Second summary of, of if you're not sure what to do, this is a summary statement. It's saying, you want to know how to be a good citizen? A good citizen honors everyone. Secondly, it says to love the brotherhood. Love, in Romans 12, it says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love and honor go hand in hand. It is never a good thing when police are called during the annual church meeting. Right? That's a bad testimony. Christians should make it easier for law enforcement, not more difficult. And we do that by honoring one another, loving one another. A good citizen loves fellow believers and takes care of fellow believers. Fear God. We will never respect people until we revere God. Why? When we treat people poorly, Jesus is saying, hey, I died for that person. The Father is saying, I placed my breath in that person. When we revere God, we value what God values. My son is a, uh, both of my sons are big Michigan fans. Do you want to know how long they've lived in Michigan? Zero. Never lived in Michigan. Why are they big Michigan fans? Because their dad is. And because I make them. No, I don't, I don't make them. Not out loud. I just, I just sang the Michigan fight song when they were in the crib, and all of a sudden they became Michigan fans. I don't know how that happens. When we revere God, we value what God values. And he sums it up, the last one, honor the emperor. Sometimes the person holding the office is difficult to honor but we need to honor the office they hold. Daniel did it and continued to do it even after being thrown to the lions. His three buddies, they honored the emperor, the ruler, uh, even in the furnace. Peter and John did it after being threatened by the Sanhedrin. Jesus, Jesus did it throughout his trials and his execution. Honor the emperor. As I said, the emperor at this point was Nero. And it's about to get real bad. In a few weeks, we'll talk further about what did Nero do to Christians um, so that you'll understand that, uh, that we might be frustrated at times with our governing authorities. And yet Peter is writing this in a situation where it was much more difficult for Christians. Because it's not about them, is it? It's about us and our witness. And we witness by excellent conduct. And excellent conduct means we submit ourselves to governing authorities. And we don't do it because they deserve it, we do it because the Lord deserves it. And so that's why, that's our motivation for doing so. I hope this helps change my attitude. You know the preacher always gets himself first, right? I hope this changes my attitude tomorrow when I go to the DMV. I hope it changes your attitude as you deal with different governing authorities, human authorities, that, uh, that you will do it to the, for the Lord, for the Lord's sake. And who knows how he will use your honorable behavior to perhaps bring someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus showed this example to the point of dying so that our sins could be paid for. That there's no, uh, there's no salvation 
in our own good works, but that Jesus died for us, that he took the penalty of sin and put it on himself, and, Father, that he rose again, proving that sin had, in fact, been conquered, that, that his death satisfied your righteous demand that sin be paid for in death. He rose again, showing that he had power over sin and death. And it gives us a hope for our own resurrection as well. Father, help us uh, as the weeks and months go by um, that we will um, be honoring in our speech to governing authorities, not just to the ones that we like, but especially to the ones that bother us, and that you will use that excellent behavior to bring you glory and praise. Father, help us to think bigger than just ourselves, that you have a much bigger plan, uh, and that we will be on board with it. Uh, and Father, help us to recognize that we are rebellious not just against human authority, but we're often rebellious against your authority as well. Help us to be humble, to recognize who you have placed in authority over us, and that we will show uh, gratefulness to them uh, and, uh, and do, it, do it for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.